Hi, this is Sandra Otten with CU Progressive News, and I've got Cameron Rabb on the line with me. Hi, Cameron. Hi there. Cameron's an organizer with CU Indivisible, which is an organization that, I guess, loosely an or- structured organization, not a lot. It's very grassroots. It's um, mm-hmm. based, based around uh, the Indivisible Guide, which many um, communities, act, community activists have ordered and then organized in their own community, and there's one here. I know there's one in Bloomington. There's, there's several. There's around. about... Yeah, there's about um, 6,000 across the country, 6,000 individual groups. Great. And if uh, let's just start by asking if anybody just is interested in, in organizing with you at CU Indivisible, <laughs> how would they go about doing that? Sure. Um, we have a Facebook page. Um, it's facebook.com slash groups slash CU Indivisible. Or if you just search CU Indivisible, you'll be able to find us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we're actually, we now have a booth at the Urbana Farmer's Market. Um, so we're going to be there every weekend. You can come say hi, get information about the group, um, and then we also have an email list that people can sign up for uh, if they the don't want to. the main thing that the group is about is organizing against the Trump agenda. That's the Yeah, resisting, resisting the worst parts of it. You know, if there's an opportunity to work together, you know, with, or if, if there's something coming up, you know, uh, on the conservative agenda that we feel is something that, you know, should go through we're you know we're not going to fight them on that um but yeah the the group was uh started by some former congressional staffers that sort of saw the writing on the wall and knew that you know there would need to be a resistance to this this administration um and so yeah that's what got my wife and i interested in starting it and it's it's been a pretty pretty major success ever since (laughs) Shout out to Paige, your wife. <laughs> yep. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about Rodney Davis, our representative in the United States uh, House of Representatives in Washington for the mm-hmm. 13th Congressional District, yep. which um, encompasses all of Champaign-Urbana and all the way over at Springfield-Decatur down to um, Litchfield in that area, getting closer to St. Louis. Yep. Um, and Davis is a Republican. He's held this seat now for, I think, two terms, if I'm not mistaken. Do you think that's right? I think two two or three. I think his first victory might have been in 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but I think, yeah, 2012 was the first time he won. Right, and he there will be another election in 2018 where this seat yep. will be up, and um, he, you know, he'll be trying to... Keep it, and what will we be talking about? So tell us, Cameron. So he, um, so first of all, tell us what what are um, town halls? Is this something that has been dictated this year by um, Congress? They get time off to do con- town halls. How is that supposed to work? Um, so they have these things. They have time in their schedule set aside, known as the congressional recess, and the Senate has these two. Um, and you know. These, this is time set aside for these representatives to come back to their home district and, you know, meet with people. And that there's no, like, set rules, but there is a lot of precedent. Um, and one of those things that has, you know, routinely been done is holding town halls. It's a really efficient way to get a bunch of people in a room and have their voices heard and have, and have them able to hear, you know, their congressman's response to constituent questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, these town halls. This is something that you know conservatives and Republicans have done and been doing for ever. Um, it's it's a really common thing, um, but the they they stopped being as popular um, 
during the Obama administration when Tea Party protesters would show up and, you know, they would um, they would voice their concerns, but some of them got really, like, really nasty. There were uh, uh, congressmen that were being spit on and things were being thrown, um, and it, it, it was really nasty. But there was there was a part of that movement that was successful, and it was this, like, grassroots activism. And that's sort of what the staffers, uh, the people that put together the Indivisible Guide saw, and they said, we can, we can learn from them, but we don't have to borrow everything from them. Mm-hmm. So as part of the Indivisible Guide, we are encouraging our representatives to be more uh, accessible, and one of the ways that we'd like to do that is via a town hall. We, we view that as the most efficient way to, you know, for a congressman or a senator to sort of gauge the mood among their constituency um, to you know, explain themselves um, and to you know have have very pointed and difficult questions asked of them, and honestly, the, the questions that need need to be to, asked of them. Wanna, he doesn't want to have town halls, and what reason does he give? He, he he says the exact opposite. He says they're not productive. He says they're a waste of time. Um, they're only you know the only people that go to them are you know professional. He's even gone so far as to say paid protesters in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he. I think he knows that's not true, but it's a convenient dodge for him, um, and it's it's proved to be sort of a rationale that's popular amongst conservatives right now who apparently forgot how people like Davis got into office. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I don't expect him to hold one, but we, we will continue to push him for one, and I think the longer he refuses, uh, the worse it looks for him. So he he instead said he would meet with constituents three at a time, I believe. So he was going to come to town and hold office hours, which was really something he hadn't done for quite a while. Well, yeah, and there there were two new things that we learned. Um, one, that he was willing to inform people when he was coming. Before, um, he said he met with you know small groups, but it was next to impossible to get a meeting. I, I have been trying since the election to get a private meeting with Davis and have had no emails returned, no calls returned, nothing whatsoever returned. And I, you know, I'm one of many who have been trying to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, we were finally notified that he would be not only in the district. Normally he doesn't let the constituents know like where he's going to be and when, but we were also told that these would be open meetings. So anyone that showed up that wanted to show up could, could come. But um, yeah, as we uh, found out, almost immediately that was going to be probably not a very successful exercise. <clears throat> so um, he had in the past had uh, meetings, but they, he, they weren't announced to people that they could come. They weren't open meetings. Just when he came to town, all of a sudden you would read about it in the newspaper that he was going to meet with so-and-so or that he had met with so-and-so. Is that the way? Yeah, usually, usually it was after the fact. Usually yeah. we'd read about it after it already happened, yeah. Okay, so tell us what happened on, um, let's see, today, what, what day was it that he was in town? Uh, he was in town yesterday. Uh, he was in Normal on Monday. May 9th. Um, and we had found out about these open office hours, I believe, on Friday, so less than a week notice, like, for for most people. Um, and that 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 is an issue, that lack of, or that short notice, but it became more of an issue when they told us when these meetings would be held. Um, the time of the day was super inconvenient especially on short notice, 2 to 3.15 p.m. here in Champaign, mm-hmm. which is a really hard time for people to, you know, get out of work um, and make it there. And we, we heard from so many people that, you know, I'd love to make it, but, I, you know, I have to work. I, I have to give them a week's notice before I take time off. 
Right. And um, a lot of people couldn't arrange a babysitter. Um, but, you know, yeah, they didn't have vacation time. Clock, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it was just a, a really, really inconvenient time not to a work, hold it. Not a working man's schedule. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the people that were able to make it, they had to take vacation. Like, they had to, um, you know, arrange a babysitter. And, like, it's such a, you know, that should not be the case if you're trying to meet with the person, you know, that your tax dollars pay. Like, uh, my my tax money pays his salary, and I have to take time off of work to meet with him. Like, I, right. that just doesn't not make sense Not only his to me. salary, but the office people's salary. I mean, they get, a, yep. they get a stipend for all of that. So the fact that he has an office here that's paid for, that's supposed to be used for this very thing with the staff to set up the appointments and all of that, that's all part of the... Mm-hmm. All part of what he gets. So tell us uh, more about what did happen then. Um, well, yeah. So we were told that, you know, it was first come, first serve, um, and that meetings would be, you could have up to three or four people in the meeting, and that those meetings would last for approximately 10 minutes, which already we were kind of like, well, I, I don't, you know, that's probably not going to be a very productive conversation. Four people trying to get their point across for 10 minutes, including Davis trying to respond like, you know, yeah. not going to work out great. Um, but then when we got there, I, I had intended to go in alone because I wanted to maximize my time. And I assumed, you know, they said up to three or four people, but there was no rule on, you know, you have to have three or four people. Mm-hmm. But when we got there, we found out that that was the rule. You had to have three or four people. And then as time went on and more and more people showed up, they started cramming, uh, you know, five people, six people, seven people, eight pe- up to some groups had eight people mm-hmm. in this 10 minute meeting trying to get their points across to the congressman. Um, you know, and unsurprisingly, we heard from those groups uh, that there was just, it was a waste of time. Nobody could talk. Um, you know, Davis was interrupting. There was no way to really have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So what was your conversation with him like? Um, I, I went in with a group of, well, I had signed up as a group of four, but right before we went in, they threw two more people in our group, which, you know, we were kind of like, okay, well, we were already going to be short for time. But, yeah, so we got in there. And uh, most of us had, you know, written some things up that they wanted to say and prepared some stuff. And uh, I, I had asked Congressman Davis when we sat down, I said, you know, Congressman, like, I know your time is limited, our time is limited. Would it be okay if we all just sort of, like, shared our stories with you and then you can respond after we've all had a chance to speak? And he said, yeah, that's fine if that's what you want to do. And so I was I was sitting right next to him, and he said, you can go first if you'd like. And so I, I started, you know, reading through what I had prepared and I think I made it maybe two sentences in before he interrupted and got us, you know, off track and off off topic, um, which which was really frustrating because you know we tried setting some boundaries before the the conversation started, um, and you know we we kept trying to bring him back to the issues that we were trying to get across, and most of us in the room were concerned about healthcare, mm-hmm. um, and in particular I was concerned about his vote. Um, you know, for the HC, I, I broke it down for him. I, I felt like, you know, it was a careless vote, and I, you know, I provided my reasons. Um, I didn't feel like it was a bipartisan effort, and I, you know, again, reasons. I didn't feel like the facts or the evidence that we had supported his position, and I felt that he was spreading, you know, a good deal of misinformation about the bill itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, he took issue with each of those, but his defense of my criticisms were pretty... Uh, the, I, I was shocked by how little thought went into his responses. Um, so I, he, he said that, you know, the AHCA 
I brought up the point that, um, you know, with when Obamacare was passed, we had congressional hearings. We had, you know, 15 months from the time it was introduced to the time it was passed. Um, and I said, we don't have, you know, we had CBO scores every step of the way, whereas with the HCA, we don't have an updated CBO score for the, the MacArthur Amendment, which is the one that, you know, all the people are concerned about with pre-existing conditions and the essential health benefits. And mm-hmm. he told me that, um, you know, well, we did debate the, the AHCA quite a bit. We had 48 hours on the House floor, or we had 48 hours to debate it. And, you know, in the room we all kind of laughed because we're like, we, you know, 48 hours, you think that's really a sufficient amount of time? And I, I brought up the point that, you know, healthcare is one-sixth of our economy. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you're, you need a little more time, I think, to make a, a educated decision there. And uh, he brought up the point, he goes, well, if you want to talk about improvements, um, our bill, the AHCA, only has 130 pages, whereas Obamacare had like 1,200. And we all kind of looked at each other, and I asked him, I said, do you really think that, you know, the number of pages in a bill is a measure of its quality? Like, is that is that your metric for how good a bill will be? And he just sort of shrugged. I, I don't think he had really thought that response through very much. Um, and... It was just it was a it was a frustrating conversation because you know I was able to get a few questions to him, uh, but I you know I wanted to leave time for everyone else in the room to ask questions and it it just it didn't no nobody really got anything out of it um, and it it was confusing to me because you know Davis says that he won't do a town hall because it's not a productive conversation but then you know he slams six eight people in a room for ten minutes. And, you know, there's no way to have a productive conversation there. So Right. Well, it was, let's, let's just figure it out. So, you know, you're talking to a progressive audience here. We're on See Your Progressive News, so let's lay it out. We know he doesn't. You know, it's not confusing at all. It's exactly what he wanted. It's exactly what he wanted. He wanted to have short conversations that he could, yep. could say that he had. Um, yep. And he, you know, by, by throwing... Go ahead. Yeah, by throwing eight people in a room, you know, he can increase the number of people that he says he met with, right? Like it's it, it's a numbers game for him. It's a PR move. There's there was, you could tell as soon as he started talking, he had no interest in entertaining any of these, you know, ideas of like, hey, maybe you should think about this differently, or like you need to, you know, be concerned with the impact this will have on us. You know, he was just there to, you know, so put himself me, through the ringer. Just on your personal assessment, do you do you think he is an unintelligent person? Because it sounds like he didn't even ha- you know have the smarts to put together good tactics for answers or things like that. Do you really see him as capable? Um, just um, uncare, you know, sort of like the towing the Republican Party line, and but yet. Yeah, I think I think he's just determined that that's easier. You know, mm-hmm. just doing what Paul Ryan says is easier than, you know, spending the time to make sure you know what you're talking about, to make sure you have good reasons for believing the things that you do. Um, and like I said, his responses to our questions, you know, they don't paint a picture of someone that has put a lot of thought into their positions. They, you know, it, he came across very much as a guy who has, he's got his talking points memorized. Um, and, you know, you can tell when when he's listening to you, He's not listening to understand. He's listening to see which of his talking points he's going to use in response. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I don't know. I wouldn't call yeah. him unintelligent. I would just yeah. call him unprepared and uncaring, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So what's the next move for you and for CU Indivisible? <clears throat> um, well, we, I mean, 
the the plan kind of stays the same for us. We are going to continue to push him to be more accessible. And I, I, I do want to say that like I give him some amount of credit for even holding these open office hours to it. I mean, this is a step in the right direction, although it's less of a step and a little more of like a stumble in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this is as open and as accessible as he has been the entirety of, you know, since the election. Uh, and even, you know, even that, him at his most accessible is pretty, you know, it's a pretty subpar standard. Right. Um, so, so we're we're going to continue but, but, to push him. Right. That's what I was going to say. That really, but even making this attempt was probably just due to pressure. So I know a lot of people have been calling his office, and uh, you provide talking points so that people who do have not um, had experience calling a congressperson's office can really feel comfortable with some, given some language. Here's the number. Here's easy ways to do it. I think that's one of the main things that uh, CU Indivisible is really good at providing. Yeah, every time we post something, you know, we say, here's a little background info, um, here's a sample call script, feel free to use it or modify it, and here's all the contact info. We try and make it as easy as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, well, we will stay in touch with you, and uh, we'll post this um, and get it out there, and hopefully you can um, keep organizing, fight the good fight. Oh, yeah, we will do. <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. We'll do. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye.